claiming that he, well, he heard stuff from other people. He's not, you know, he doesn't know anything firsthand, but he's been told things by people who have firsthand knowledge and got as far as testifying before Congress, which is pretty fucking wild. Um, but I'm interested in your take on it. So what is your take on the David Grush story? Well, Grush is working straight for the CIA, I can tell you straight up. Whether he's officially with them or not, uh, he's there on their behalf and on behalf of the National Security Agency and the Pentagon. Uh, which means anything he's telling you is just shit. Uh, there might be some tiny little nugget of truth in there, but the tiny little nugget is, well, we can't identify these things. And that's about it. When it comes to, well, you know, we're reverse engineering and all that, uh, yeah, I, I kind of know we've been reverse engineering and all that, but you don't have anything. You're, he doesn't bring anything to the table. Uh, and certainly he doesn't have any kind of evidence. And if he's talking about recovery of alien bodies, I pretty much already know that he's full of crap. <laughs> I just know. Yeah. Well, why do you think that uh, he's come out with this stuff then, if, he, if you think he's working either unknowingly or, or purposely at the behest of the CIA? Why do you think he's what, – what do you think his agenda is? Well, ever since the uh, – <laughs> allergens. Allergens are really bad right now. Um, I know. The two of us, between the two of us, people are going to be like, what the fuck am I listening to? I feel yeah. like I'm in a fucking tuber- tuberculosis ward. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're in the situation. No, it's just allergens that kill on me. Um, Grush is just laying more of the same groundwork for the eventual alien invasion scenario. Uh, somewhere down the line, this has been in the works since the 1950s, 1960s, uh, eventually, they're going to pull out the we're being invaded by aliens card. Uh, they really don't need it right now, but they're just laying the groundwork for it, trying to get people more accustomed to it, make it more of a legitimate topic of conversation. Uh, so they're, they're taking the tinfoil hat off it so people will begin to take it seriously uh, and kind of start acquainting them that way. Right now, they've got so much on their plate. I don't know how the hell they could squeeze aliens in. <laughs> We've got war in the Middle East. We've got uh, we're trying to beat Russia and Ukraine, and we're trying to start a war in Taiwan. So we can't handle a single front war, let alone a three front war, and that's pretty much what's going on right now. Uh, but you know, all of it is just destabilizing the world horribly, which is exactly what the globalists want, because then they can throw in whatever their solutions are. Say, well, we need uh, more uh, shutting down of any free communication. We've got to get rid of. Uh, free speech, uh, we have to have censorship, we have to force people to take vaccines, we have to force people to eat what we tell them to eat, uh, we have to get them in 15-minute cities, we have to get off of oil, we have to get into electrical vehicles, because, look, you know, I can't get oil anymore from the Middle East. And they're just trying to destroy everything so they can put their own solutions in. And none of their solutions are good for anyone except them. Yeah. That's really the name of the game. Well, you know, it does seem like we're on the cusp of uh, World War Three, so, you know, hopefully we make it through whatever the fuck this mess is right now, because it's definitely, uh, I didn't hear what you said the third front was. We got, we got the Middle East, we got Ukraine, and what was the third thing you mentioned? Taiwan. Uh, we Taiwan, keep beating the yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to, uh, hey, we're, we keep goading the Chinese. Yeah. So, and right now, that's a very stupid thing to do. Uh, we had, you know, half of our fleet was over near Taiwan, 
then all hell broke loose in Gaza, and bam, you know, we practically got the whole fleet sailing straight to the, the Strait of Hormuz. So, um, I mean, we just can't support all this. And suddenly, all the money that, well, you know, we need more money for Ukraine. We have to stick through this to the end. We've got to beat Russia. We have to beat Russia. And we, we have to absolutely put everything we've got into it, period, no matter how long it takes. Uh, sir, war is broken out in the Middle East. Fuck Ukraine. we got to get everything over to Israel right away. And, yeah, it's you know, pretty wild. Yeah, we, we can't do this. <laughs> we don't have any resources. We've, just, we've thrown all of our stuff away to Ukraine. Uh, we've pretty much only got money now. And we've emptied all of our storehouses to give them all of our old weaponry, and we're busy trying to rebuild our own weaponry because it's gone. We sent it all to Ukraine. And we've still got our Navy, and we've still got missiles and jets there. So, of course, they're sitting around off the coast of Gaza, and uh, we can't spread everything so thin. And we don't, and we don't have the money. We're, like, so far in debt, it isn't funny. I mean, when Congress yeah. is actually saying, we have to stop this. <laughs> We don't have anything. We have to stop this now. And the funding, they're attaching, like Biden insists on attaching a Ukraine funding bill to the Israel funding bill. And Congress is shutting that down, saying, look, we can't do both. And all of them are saying, hey, Israel, Israel, are waving the Israeli flag because, you know, Israel bought them all. So they have, we have to defend Israel. All right. Well, that kind of leaves Ukraine in the shitter, doesn't it? And that's pretty much the... Consensus opinion. Ukraine's kind of left in the shitter. Uh, not overnight, but, you know, we're seeding all kinds of stuff in the media where before we were saying, oh, hey, you know what, it's a stalemate, but uh, the Ukrainians are coming back. Uh, counteroffensive. It's doing okay. They're gaining some ground. They got uh, a couple of feet today, as a matter of fact, at the cost of only 10,000 lives. And, you know, they're changing that now. Now they're talking about uh, a potential regime change in Ukraine. <laughs> Uh, disputes between um, what's the name uh, Zelensky, Zelensky and uh, yeah uh, it disputes between Zelensky and his top general and his top general does have political ambitions so that's entirely possible uh, but the point is we're not really backing uh, Zelensky in the in the media anymore he's kind of on his own we're cutting him loose we're in process of cutting him loose. Yeah. And almost encouraging regime change. Because suddenly now, behind the scenes, all the talk is, look, they're trying to get him to broker some kind of peace deal, but he won't deal with Putin. And, yeah. well, if we don't get a peace deal. Look, it's, this is dragging all of Europe down. It's dragging the United States down. It's dragging everybody down. And it's absolutely murdering Ukraine. So, yeah, everyone kind of wants to It's pretty rough. Stop. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of... Uh, let's pivot back to UFOs because people people they they hear enough of this shit on the nightly news they don't want to hear any more of it from us. Uh, yeah. So what do you so you think that this is just all part of a larger sort of alien invasion psyop if you will plan? Oh yeah, yeah definitely. First they have to get people to begin to take the subject seriously, and that started with the TikTok videos, the FLIR videos. Um, they're actually showing, you know, UFOs and saying, we don't know what these are. And they're showing yeah. flight characteristics of these things. And basically, you've got the military coming out and admitting, yeah, we've got aircraft here that no one on Earth knows how to make, which we're not saying is aliens, mind you. 
but whosoever they are, we don't know what they are. We don't know how to make them, and we don't know anyone else who knows how to make them. Uh, yeah. But they're real. We see them. We photograph them. You've seen them now yourself. Uh, they're coming out and talking about ways that uh, all people can report UFOs uh, and, and be taken seriously, especially in the military, which yeah. we've always had those manuals. Uh, those, I mean, all the way back in at least the 1980s, uh, I think it goes all the way back to the 60s. There were manuals on how anyone in the military could report, not only how they could report UFOs, but in the manual they would have the different types of UFOs that might be reported, cigar-shaped, disc, orb, and, and yeah. you know, they made it easy for you to report it. So they would kind of squelch everything publicly, but privately they wanted to get as much information as they possibly could. So, yeah, they're just trying to make people take it sufficiently seriously not immediately, but over time. Uh, like I said, they're taking the tinfoil hat off it. They're saying, well, okay, you know, you want to talk about UFOs? Uh, it's not off the table anymore. It's not that crazy. Uh, we do have things flying around in the sky. We're admitting it. Uh, we don't have the capacity to make those, and we don't know who does. Therefore, yeah, tell us all about it, please, everybody. So you're getting everyone on board with believing that, yes, this is real. Uh, these are physically real objects flying through our skies beyond our ability to manufacture so far as anyone knows. Okay, uh, that lays the groundwork. Now, you wait a while. Like For the start, the Tic Tac videos came out, what, like four years ago? Uh, uh, about like six that? years ago now. Six years ago, six yeah. Six years ago, okay. Okay, so those things, those things have been out for six years. Everybody knows them now. They're old hat. Uh, and we're still, you know, occasionally getting reports in the news, and you get – these idiots like Dave Bruce showing up just to, you know, keep stoking the fire. Uh, they want to say, hey, you know, um, I've heard tell, and I'm connected. I know stuff. Uh, we got alien bodies. We've been reverse engineering technology. The reverse engineering technology is nothing new. We've been doing that since the 1940s. So <laughs> no shock there. But most of the public doesn't know that. So anytime yeah. that you get uh, some guy like Bob Lazar coming out and Grush backing him, it's like, dude, this is not news. Anything these guys are telling you is not news. This is way old hat. Uh, that's, what, that's what they do in Area 51. That's what that's all about. Uh, they do a lot of reverse engineering there. It's not a secret. Uh, Lockheed Martin does. That's what the skunk works are all about. Uh, but you're acquainting the general public with stuff that, that formerly was only known by people looking into the subjects, and there weren't that many. So do you think the stuff that pilots are encountering is actually otherworldly, or do you think it's uh, earthly technology? Because I'm not of the – I don't think that it's alien, per se, myself. I don't think so. Well, it depends. And I don't know the exact characteristics of all these things. I'm certain we have recovered some alien technology over the years uh, and that we have been reverse engineering it. There are plenty of documents to that effect. Uh, some of those documents are questionable enough where they might not mean that we actually have the material in our hands to be reverse engineering, but certainly we will reverse engineering things according to observed characteristics. However, there are times in the documents where it seems pretty obvious they do have some of it in their hands, and they've been passing it back and forth and examining it. So, yeah, I'm sure we've been reverse engineering since the 1940s and probably very heavily in the 1950s. Well, and very heavily in the 1950s, let's put it that way. Uh, 1950s yeah. onward, uh, but just keeping it quiet. You know, we don't want everyone to know. And a, a lot of these guys will even admit it. If you go to, like, a UFO conference or a talk, I gave a talk for the Denver UFO Society many years ago now. But 
one of the guys there, well, there was more than one. One in particular, he was like the head of a chapel thing. Uh, he had formerly worked for an executive position at Lockheed Martin uh, or Boeing, one of them. I think it was Lockheed Martin. And he basically admitted that we were reverse engineering stuff, <laughs> just straight up. <laughs> he didn't say, yeah, we got all kinds of stuff, and we've got this done on it, and we're doing it. He didn't you know, go into details. But he did admit that, yeah, we've been reverse engineering this stuff for a long time. So I, I took that as an official acknowledgement. I mean, he was acknowledging it publicly. And yeah. anytime you have UFO societies or anything like that, a lot of the members on the board are going to be uh, Lockheed Martin. They're going to be Boeing. They're going to be Northrop Grumman. Uh, and they're going to be ex-CIA, ex-NSA, ex-this, ex-that, ex-the-other thing, meaning not ex at all, just satellite now. But definitely having had attachments to these various bureaus and intelligence agencies. So, yeah, you're going to find them all over the place. They're in the UFO societies. They're in the clubs. Uh, they're in all the groups. They, they are paying attention to everybody because that's how they keep tabs on what people know and how they can control what people know. If someone finds something really interesting, they shelve it off to the side and then downplay it to the group. <laughs> have them investigating yeah, yeah. something else pretty bogus. Uh, but, yeah, they admit to it. I mean, the, the officials that are there basically admit to the fact that, yes, we're reverse engineering stuff and have been for a long time. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens because, uh, yeah, they, they're getting it, they're taking it closer and closer to, like, saying aliens are real but also kind of pulling the football back right when you think they're going to. So it's it's kind of like an interesting little dance here of uh, – uh, you know, the unstoppable force meets the immovable object kind of thing. Yes. And there's not going to be any official acknowledgement until the quote-unquote alien invasion. Uh, once, And that is not something that we alone control. That is not something that's controlled just by the West. Uh, unless you have Russia playing along, unless you have China playing along, unless everyone plays along with it, no one's going to buy it. Uh, it, it wouldn't make any difference if just the United States or just Britain or just Canada were saying, hey, we're being invaded, because uh, that wouldn't be believed. Unless it's something yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If like, yeah. Them, then no one's going to buy it. So, you know, how close do you think we are to that? It's not very. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd all have to be on the same page, yeah. We're just going to be fighting each other. Right. Right. Yeah. Let alone make an actual public disclosure, because I, believe me, the Chinese know all about it. India knows all about it. I know India knows all about it because I've read their defense minister's reports. And he reported things publicly, and his conclusions were exactly the same as my own. So I know that India knows all about it, and they found out about it as soon as they became a nuclear superpower. I mean, a nuclear power, not a nuclear superpower, but a nuclear power. Because uh, yeah. all of a sudden, bam, they started getting sabotaged right and left. They looked into it. Uh, and they reported exactly all the stuff that I report in my books. Say, so, yeah, I know they know. So believe me, India knows, Pakistan knows, Israel knows, the United Kingdom knows. Anyone who has any kind of atomic weaponry or atomic uh, development knows all about it. Uh, the intelligence agencies are not stupid, and they have their information firsthand. Not to mention, as soon as an, as soon as a new player joins the club, like India did. Now, they immediately think, well, the sabotage is being done by the United States or Russia. And the next thing they know, the United States and Russia are both knocking on their door saying, Sorry, it's not us. We thought the same thing about each other. Uh, you remember the club now. 
You know, now yeah. it's time we brief you on the Martian. And then everyone just shuts up about it. So do you – so you're suggesting that they're going to stage an alien invasion, but what about the aliens? Are they – they don't care? They're, they're all right with us pretending like they're well, – not us, but they're all right with the government pretending that they're these invading uh, force? that makes any sense? Well, the idea of that, like I said, if you don't get the other world leaders on board with it, they'll never fly. Uh, this is one of the reasons the globalists are so busy trying to, to grab power and get control of everything. If you get control of everything, then you can stage your damned alien invasion. And it doesn't have to be terribly credible. Uh, we could stage sufficient bullshit right now and recover stuff that we tinkered together and call an alien invasion. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched the original Outer Limits. Um the episode, The Architect of Fear, I think it was the third episode in the series, in the first season, uh, is all about that. It's exactly about what Werner Von Braun was talking about uh, at roughly the same time to his secretary when he was talking about the fact that we've had an alien invasion on the boards for a long time. It's just going to be quite a while before anyone tries to do anything with it. But in that story, what you have are a bunch of intelligence guys who are going to create an alien. We're going to take one of their number. He draws straw. They all draw straw. And whoever draws the short straw, we're going to turn into an alien. We've got this alien hormone that we picked up with some of our probes. Uh, we're going to shoot it into you. We're going to create a spacecraft for you out of some of our best top secret shit. Uh, launch into orbit. Have you drop down near the UN? Use our laser zip zag whammo ray gun to you know shoot a couple things and scare the crap out of out of everybody. And you have to be sufficiently alien that when you die, as you will, because you will be shot, uh, they can do an autopsy of you and believe that you are an alien. Uh, we don't have to go that far. Uh, we could just dupe one up. You know, we could fake one. Because the media is going to play along. You know, we don't have a yeah. media that's going to jump in there and say, this is not a real alien. Say, yeah, shut up about it. It's a real alien. Yeah, okay, it's a real alien. Uh, so we, we could do that now. We just don't have everything in motion to do it. Uh, we could fake it pretty easy if everyone else was on board. Right, right. Uh, all right, well, let's do well, – I'll pepper this over the course of the conversation. I'll throw in some listener questions here over the course of uh, the evening tonight. Rich Morley wants to know uh, if you think the people on Mars are living on the moon and are they living here under the sea? Yes. That's a very good question. Uh, yes to all three. I think they've got bases under the sea. I think they've got bases on the moon and have had for probably millennia. Uh, they've got bases in uh, underground locations on Earth, Mount Shasta probably being one. Uh, they may have them in Antarctica. Uh, I'm sure they have them in, in quite a few locations and possibly a few different moons throughout the solar system. I'm not sure about that. But I'm sure that, yeah, yeah they're, they're not restricted to Mars. They've been around a very long time. They've got bases all the hell over the place. So as often as they go underwater and come back out again, yeah, I'm pretty sure they've got bases down there. And on the moon, definitely. We see pictures of <laughs> pictures of those leak out. You know, we've got the domes that move. We've got structures on the moon. Uh, some of that stuff leaks out. And, yeah, I'm certain that they're there. Probably mostly under the surface, they say, out of view. But we do see them moving around up there, like the moving domes. You know, there'll, there'll be these giant domes that lunar observers find them first in one spot, and then the next thing you know, they're someplace else. Uh, they just up and move somehow. 
And gee, I wonder what those might be. But yeah, they're on the moon. They're on Mars. They're under the ocean. They're under the Earth. They're all kinds of places. They got bases all the hell over the place. So you think there's just aliens all over everywhere? Oh yeah, they just stay out of sight. They look just like us. I mean, if they came walking out, you wouldn't know. So they probably infiltrate, and it's like day the Earth stood still. I've got this perfectly humanoid-looking alien. If someone did an autopsy on him, they might notice a couple differences here and there. But they're not going to be doing an autopsy on him, so they're going to, not going to notice the differences. He can look like anyone else. And he can just kind of go yeah. undercover and pick up information from everybody. And what do you think... What, what do you think they're doing under the sea? Just hanging out, waiting, living there or something? Couldn't tell you. I don't know. Um, they just, I, I am assuming, I don't know for a fact, but just given the activity, I have to assume that, yes, they have bases down there. Um, what do you do with any base? It's where you keep equipment, uh, coordination, communication centers. I don't know. And we yeah. have bases all over the place. I mean, the United States has bases all hell over the place. It's like my favorite meme where it says, obviously Iran wants war. Look how, look how close they built their country to our military bases. And, you know, they're surrounded by United States military bases. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they've got bases in a lot of places. They just don't advertise them like we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, Steve Ray wants to know uh, if you have any news on sea people uh, as of – this year, any any new insights on the sea people since the last time we heard from you? Oh yeah, back to the end of the Bronze Age. Uh, I wish I was more up on that. Yeah, I've done more research on that. I'm trying to think where where I would have left off or if I picked up anything that I hadn't said before. Uh, I don't think I've actually picked up anything new about that. I've watched quite a few documentaries on. That exact period, the end of the Bronze Age, and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, largely, I think it, it had to do with the Philistines, uh, who are, if I've made any significant alteration to my view of it, I think the Philistines were mostly behind it, which would explain uh, they, they were centered mostly around, like, Lebanon. Uh, and they were definitely seafaring people. They were Phoenicians, uh, Carthaginians, Phoenicians. Right. Uh, they largely inhabited uh, the very region that uh, Ramesses III exiled them to. He basically gave them a settlement of land uh, with Canaan. He gave them Canaan, which was pretty much their kind of their original homeland. So <laughs> he said, look, go back there, okay, uh, and stop bothering everybody. Here's a lot of farmland. Settle down. And they did, and the Israelites were there, and they got pissed off about it. And that's, you know, a large part of the history of our Bible. But, yeah, that's – I think the Philistines were very largely behind it. You had a, a coalition of the Greek peoples. Uh, there were probably some Celts in there. And, in fact, I'm pretty sure there were Celts in there. Uh, and definitely their, their, um, their garb – the Sea People's garb is decidedly Philistine. There's no question of that. Uh, they've got the, the kind of broom brush helmets – and um, Trojan helmets. Uh, there would have also been uh, Luvians in there, uh, the Trojans for the most part, uh, remnants of the yeah. Trojans. Uh, so you've just got this coalition of a whole lot of people, but the Philistines are kind of at the center of it, uh, that were kind of behind all that. Uh, it took Egypt to finally knock them down, and that was at a pretty big cost. 
And then Ramsey's the third to said, look, you know, we're not going to execute all of you. Some of you. <laughs> we're not going to execute all of you uh, because it's, you know, too much of an undertaking. Why don't we just give you this land over here, which is kind of where most of you came from in the first place, settle down, leave us alone, farm, and be peaceful. And they did, except not with the Israelites, who were also not peaceful with them, because they considered it their yeah. land. And the next thing you know, and these were seafaring people. Oh yeah, absolutely. All of them were seafarers. Uh, that's basically how their coalition came about in the first place. Uh, yeah. Like I said, you get a lot of different Greeks. Because Greece was not so much a nation; Greece was a collection of tribes. Uh, most ancient civilizations were a lot like that. Rome started like that and kind of became a civilization. Egypt started like that and became a civilization. You know, eventually they sort of coalesce, they grab together, they become something central, uh, which is something the Celts never did uh, any more than most aboriginals everywhere else did. I mean, you know, look how long it took Germany to actually become a nation, for crying out loud. Uh, right, that's right. way, way late. Yeah. And back in the ancient world, that was most people. Uh, the Luvians were not a nation. They were a huge, sprawling, uh, some very civilized bunch of people that were famous for building Trojans, which is how they got the name, Trojans, were these big square forts that were very difficult to uh, to breach, hence the story of Troy, you know, why they couldn't breach the walls of Troy. These guys were very, very defensive. And whenever you look at any Philistine, I mean, you can look this stuff up in an image search. If you do an image search on Philistines, what you're going to see are basically Trojan stuff. Uh, it's semi-Greek, but mostly Trojan. Like I said, you got the brushed helmets and uh, the Trojan helmets. I mean, the uh, the kind of the the brush crest in the center. Uh, yeah. Plus, just the rest of their garb. It, it looks exactly like you would find in any, any depiction of Philistines in the Bible, because that's who they are. The Luvians were the Philistines. The Carthaginians, the Phoenicians, they were the Philistines. That's who these people were. So, yeah, if I'm, and also, interestingly enough, they were the only people that weren't hit by the sea people. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. I've kind of always been of the opinion that uh, the Phoenicians were largely behind all this, and, and I'm still of that opinion. So I'm not sure if I answered the question, but I'm kind of catching everybody up to date. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Mola Rahman wants to know, are you spiritual or religious, agnostic or atheist? How do you believe how do your beliefs inform your views on all things esoteric? I'm very spiritual. Uh I the only reason I don't say that I'm religious, I believe in God. Let's just start there. I'm not agnostic, I do believe in God. Um I'm not sure that anyone can really get a handle on God completely. So in that sense, I don't consider myself traditionally religious. Uh, I would call myself Christian, but when I'm calling myself Christian, it's not so much uh, as per the religion, it's per the philosophy. Uh, in my view, Christian philosophy is what pretty much created all of Western civilization out of the ancient world. Uh, and I, I've always held that view, and I still do. So as far as religious dogmas go, no, I'm not religious. And I do believe in God, and I do follow Christianity as a philosophy. I believe it's the most civilized of philosophy. All right. So you're, you're spiritual but not religious. I'm kind of the same way, so I can, I can identify with that. Uh, let me see here. 
What else does Raman want to know? He's got a bunch of questions. Oh, what are your thoughts on Elon Musk? Oh, Elon's doing wonderful work. Uh, I think his electric vehicles are going to go down the dustbin of history, pretty much. They start fires. They're unreliable. Uh, we can't charge them. They take too much from the grid. Um, they're actually not green at all in the sense that the amount of resources that you have to expend to create them uh, is not green at all. It, it, it does a lot of rampaging on the earth. So I, I kind of think electric vehicles are were dinosaurs pretty much when they were first made. That doesn't mean that we can't retool them. There's just so much in their infancy that right now they're not practical. And there are all kinds of practical problems with them, like they explode out of the blue. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. there, there was an explosion of electrical vehicles on a tanker that was carrying them. Uh, they were carrying a whole load of electric vehicles. One of them blew up, which blew up the rest of them, which sank the ship. So <laughs> there's been at least one instance of that actually happening. Uh, but other than that, uh, and I also don't believe that, that Elon's ever going to go to Mars. That's a pipe dream. Let him believe it. That's fine. But he's very much in favor of free speech, and one can point a, a few fingers at him. Uh, he'll occasionally make a, a nod to woke, like he appointed uh, someone who's kind of in favor of censorship. However, he, he controls that pretty well. Um, for the most part, it, you can talk about anything on Twitter. And he, God knows, that he voices every kind of unpopular opinion. He's against the mainstream in any number of different ways. But at the very least, you have to know that he's a champion of free speech, and he's about the only guy left who is. So I very much praise his name as far as all that goes. Uh, anything else? Um, I don't know. I'm pretty much in agreement with him on most things. Uh, he... And he was originally, like, super in favor of the vaccines. He thought, oh, this is all scientifically proven, blah, 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 and no one could deny it, blah, et cetera, and so forth. He changed his tune on that. <laughs> he hasn't said any of that. He says, no, no, my my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. That's my favorite Elon Musk quote. Yeah, well, we're in disagreement on that, but we'll move on. Um, what are your thoughts on encounters on Netflix? Is that a series? I guess so. I don't have any idea. Yeah. Uh, it must be some show. I haven't even heard of it. I don't know. I haven't been on Netflix in a while. Uh, I really should check it out and see what's there. Um, if they could point me in a direction, maybe it's something I've heard of, but it doesn't sound familiar. Yeah. I'm assuming it's uh, some kind of a UFO show. I believe so, yeah, but I don't know. It sounds like something dealing with close encounters of third kind abductions and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's mostly bogus, but now that I'm hearing about it, I'd like to check it out anyway. Yeah. See what they've well, what have you been reading lately that interests you? Uh, are you still looking into the pirate stuff? I'm always looking through the pirate stuff. Uh, I don't go out and read as much as I used to because I'm, uh, my home is kind of a mess. Uh, I used to do all my reading out in public. I'd go to the coffee shop to do it there. But there just aren't any coffee shops anymore. <laughs> They're all closed down. Uh, so I don't get anywhere near as much reading done as I used to. And, and unfortunately now it's mostly the same way everyone else does, which is on the web. And the web is pretty limited, frankly. Um, you can get some a lot of good basic information on the web, 
uh, even some relatively thorough basic information, but it doesn't go into uh, great detail. If you want to go into detail, you just got to get in a book. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't really read a whole lot. I haven't read any books on pirates lately, no. But I keep up on them. Yeah. Well, you know, is there a how about, how about this? Is there a specific book you recommend people who want to know more about pirates should check out? Oh man, a crap ton. But as a matter of fact, I'm going to have to go take a quick look. You can just chat while I do this. I've got like a bookshelf full of them. Uh, but off the top of my head, like under the black flag is one. I'm trying to remember which the better ones are. Is the thing. There are some that are better and some not quite as good. Under the Black Flag, is it like a good starter book? Uh, hold on, I'm just about at my bookshelf. This is one of the reasons it's nice to have a phone instead of being stuck, you know, at a desk with a microphone. Uh, where are my pirates? Hello, pirates. Uh, the Sea Rover's Practice, that's an excellent book on uh, pirate tactics and how they went about everything. Uh, or is this one? One of Oh, The Republic of Pirates. That's an excellent book. Let's see if I can get the author's name. I've only got one hand. I'm holding this one. Uh, the author's name is Colin Woodard. E-O-L-I-N-W-O-O-D-A-R-D. That's really an excellent book on pirates. Uh, it's the Republic of Pirates is the Brethren of the Coast which the pirates that we recognize as the Golden Age pirates were the Brethren of the Coast. Uh, they were an official brotherhood that was created early on uh, by Benjamin Hornigold, uh, Blackbeard, as a matter of fact, that would teach uh, a few other original luminaries. And from the start of in the turn of the century to 1720, so maybe 20, 25 years, uh, they were what we recognize as the Golden Age Pirates. They're the ones that had the codes and um, a way of life. They had their whole way of life and their whole way of governance, really. It's very self-governing. They have a lot like seagoing Masonic lodges. They all operated very much the same way and with the same code of ethics, but they were just loosely affiliated. So they all recognized each other. They knew the high thumbs, the handshakes, a lot of them. And that was one of the ways that they were able to kind of take care of each other. But anyway, that's kind of where I'm at on pirates right now. <laughs> I can there recommend you go. Those well, what is it about pirates that interests you? What 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 made you take an interest? It's quite a diverse, you know, spectrum of uh, things to be interested in: Hollywood, UFOs, and then pirates is kind of like a completely. <laughs> different thing. What 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 stroke your interest about pirates? The politics. The politics of pirates. What was going on with Golden Age piracy was an industrial revolution. And that particular industrial revolution was like all industrial revolutions, benefiting the rich at the expense of the poor. Uh, what was happening in the Golden Age of piracy is an unacknowledged civil war that was going on across the Western world. And the pirates were basically the rebels. They were the rebels against the empire. Uh, they especially liked to target Catholic shipping, uh, the uh, ships of Catholic countries, 
And it's largely said that, oh, well, pirates weren't political. That's not true. A lot of them really were. For instance, Benjamin Hornigold would not attack English shipping because he was English. Uh, and he got kicked off his own ship a couple of times for that. <laughs> they elected a new captain because he didn't want to attack English shipping. So these are our countries. We don't want to hit that. But, you know, a lot of the pirates, look, we're out for profit, dude. So they just oust him. They didn't do anything bad to him. They just kicked him off the ship and he got another one. Uh, And Blackbeard in particular, uh, Edward Teach or Edward Thatch, whatever his real name was, no one's really quite sure. Uh, He was very much a Jacobite. Uh, He, in fact, at the time that he died, or the time he was ambushed, basically, uh, was planning with the governor of Bermuda to sail his entire fleet to France to meet with the Bonnie Prince Charlie, chief of Bonnie Prince Charlie, and offer the services of his fleet to the prince. Uh, but he never was able to make that rendezvous because he got killed instead off the coast of Carolina. But yeah, he was very political. He named his ship the Queen Anne's Revenge. It was actually Steve Bonnet's ship that he took over. Uh, and Steve Bonnet was this very wealthy guy who wanted to be a pirate. And he really didn't know shit about ocean going at all. He was not a sailor. So <laughs> he happened to meet up with Blackbeard. Blackbeard took a shine to him right away and said, I like the cut of your jib, but you don't know shit. So look, I'll tell you what. You've got this great ship that you built, which is way more than you know how to handle. You give me that ship. I will make you my quartermaster, and I will teach you fucking everything about how to pirate. And he said, cool. So he became uh, Blackbeard's quartermaster, and they sailed together. Uh, Bonnet, I believe, had left shortly before Blackbeard got ambushed and killed. But they did sail together for quite a while, and he taught Bonnet pretty much everything that he knew and got his ship from him, between Anne's Revenge. So, yeah, he was very political, and there were other pilots that were, too. And sometimes politics would rear itself. But really what they were all doing was rebelling against uh, the industrialists. In fact, our term strike comes from the pirates. And that term meant strike sail. Yeah, we strike sail. We're not going to sail for you. We're not going to carry your your merchandise. That's where the term comes from. Oh, wow. So they they pioneered a lot of uh, capitalism. Uh, They... Uh, they also they were neither really socialist nor capitalist. They were a little bit of both. Uh, they had um, a sort of a code and uh, a a pay grade. And what the pay grade was: if you lose a limp, you will get X amount of gold for having lost that limp. They would compensate you for the loss of that limp, and it was very generous compensation because obviously you weren't going to be able to work that well anymore. However, if you did. Like, the guys that lost a hand usually became gunners, interestingly enough. They became gunnery sergeants. And uh, peg legs, they became cooks. Uh, they'd take some cooking and sometimes uh, coopers that take care of the animals. They'd find something for you. But they'd also compensate you for the loss of the limb because you lost it uh, in service of the ship and in service of the rest of the crew. Right. And like I said, it was very generous compensation. Uh, this is the type of thing that, that didn't show in capitalism for a very long time. But it finally did. And and it's because the pirates were pioneering that kind of thing. And they very much had an all-for-one-and-one-for-all sort of mentality, too. And they were very socialist in that regard. So I find them very interesting as a kind of a blend between socialism and uh, capitalism. 
But yeah, just politically and economically, they fascinate for their outlook. Yeah, like from what I understand, it was pretty democratic on the ship. Like everybody had a equal vote in what you know any sort of matters that needed to be decided on the ship, which is kind of like very, uh, you know, very kind of uh, progressive for a well, for a private ship in a way. What might think? It was entirely democratic. That was part of the downfall of the pirates. Um, when you've got basically the same thing everyone's always complained about with democracy, once you get the majority realizing that they can just vote themselves money out of the common store, then you're going to run out of money in the common store. <laughs> so it's a problem. Plus, practically all of them are alcoholics, and uh, a lot of them weren't in very good health either. So all you have to have is a majority to get into things. And the exception... Uh, the quartermaster was in charge of uh, dispersing all goods, keeping the books. He was always someone who was literate. And given that Blackbeard was actually a quartermaster at one point, he had to have been educated to some degree, or he couldn't have been a quartermaster. Um, that that position went to someone who could do math and read and write. And the captain, uh, the captain's only real say was in battle. He was only captain of the ship in battle. When the ship goes to battle, his orders are followed, period. In a boarding party, the quartermaster's orders are followed, period. On a landing party, the bosun's orders are followed, period. The bosun was always the guy that led the, uh, the landing party, or the away team, as they say, on Star Trek. Uh, so they had, you know, division of labor very well thought out. Uh, and at any time, uh, someone could say, hey, I don't like this captain, let's vote him out. And they would, on the spot. Uh, they'll call a vote and take care of it. And like I said, it happened to Benjamin Hornigold a couple of times. They just said, look, you're not doing well enough for this ship. We don't want you to be captain anymore. I said, okay, well, they voted him out. And then they said, you know what, we don't want to sail with you right now either. Get lost. So they gave him a ship, and they, you know, set him off someplace nice, and said, you know, good luck. And he just found another ship and kept right on. It's not, like no hard feelings. We just can't sail with you right now. But, yeah, they were entirely democratic. They can't do all that stuff. They could, they could call a vote at any time and, like, depose anyone at any time. Uh, which, you know, if they were a little bit better organized and less alcoholic, would probably have worked a lot better. Uh, plus, they didn't have any any central authority. And they were, like I said, their greatest strength was also their greatest weakness. They're like a bunch of seagoing Masonic lodges. Now, the problem with yeah. that is uh, each lodge is taken separately. They're like little tiny nations of their own. They can't coalesce into one group and have some sort of central government. Now, the closest thing they had was in Madagascar for a while and definitely in Bermuda, uh, like in Jamaica and um, what we would call Haiti now. Um, they they had a certain amount of centralized stuff, but that's kind of just where they would get together and have meetings and discuss how things were going. It's not like they were issuing edicts for every pirate to follow, because they just didn't live that way. That wasn't their way. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Made them a great strength because it's very difficult to track down someplace that doesn't have a central place to attack. <laughs> right, exactly. But yeah. it, also means, it also means they're all scattered and they can't get together and form an army of their own. So, yeah, it was one of the greatest strengths and one of the greatest weaknesses. And democracy was very much part of that. Yeah, like it seems like the pirates, they weren't necessarily all part of the same team in a way. They were just kind of like... Each individual, like you were saying, each individual ship was its own little nation state, in a way, out out on the ocean. Yeah, they had their own codes. They had their own contracts. 
um, is that if you joined any given ship, you would sign a contract, which might just be an X that was witnessed by the rest of the crew, and, and in most cases was. But, yeah, you'd sign a contract. You'd say, look, we are going to band together until we achieve X, Y, Z goals, and then everyone's free to go their own way. And you had other ships that said, no, we don't have that. We're just going to be together, and anyone can come and go as they want. Um, as long as you're fighting for the ship, you get your share of the foils, and when you want to leave, we'll give you your share of the foils. Pretty simple, really. So, yeah, each ship had its own different uh, contract. But they all basically operated on the same ethical code, same ethical principles. And they were pretty ethical principles. Uh, for instance, uh, pirates did not go around raping women. If a pirate raped a woman and another pirate saw him, they would shoot him dead on the spot. Bang. He's done. <laughs> it yeah. was not allowed. They, they, had a, they had a pretty strict moral code. And when you compare that to the merchant marine and, like, the Royal Navy or any government navies, their codes were actually pretty lenient and perfectly fair. They were a lot fairer than the, the uh, government codes and the merchant marine codes were. Well, what ultimately led to the downfall of the pirates then? The fact that they couldn't organize, and mostly just that all the governments agreed. Like, governments didn't agree on anything. They were stealing from each other. That's how pirates originally began. They started as privateers. Uh, They were officially sanctioned by the government to hit other countries' shipping and steal stuff. And they would give most of that to the government and take... uh, a share of that that they then divided among their men. So, of course, these guys eventually came to realize, why the hell am I forking all this over to the king when we can just distribute it between ourselves? Fuck king. <laughs> so they just do that. They went into business for themselves. Well, at that point, all the various governments at least agreed on one thing. We have to stamp out the pirates, period. They're taking our business. we got to knock them out. So they kind of just all organized and en masse went out and hunted down the pirates and killed them. Uh, that took a long time to kind of get everyone together to do that, though. Yeah. They, they well, were now there are still pirates, but they're like different kind of – they're like Somali pirates and shit. It's a completely different kind of thing. Right. They're, they're not remotely like the Golden Age pirates were. Golden Age pirates were quite civilized. Where When you're talking about pirates today like Somali pirates – these guys are, are just pure mercenaries. They're just out for whatever they can grab. And there were yeah. pirates like that. Don't get me wrong. But if you became a member of the Brethren of the Coast, and practically all of the Golden Age pirates were, then you lived up to the code. You lived up to the ethics. Yeah. You had rules. You had what? Rules. You had rules. Ah. You follow those rules. Like I said, you, you don't go around raping women. What the fuck are you doing right, 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 right. Jack? You're gone. <laughs> You're out of here. Yeah, well, it's just funny how the perceptions changed over the years now. They're kind of like, well, they've become, like, sexy again now in a sense. But for for a while, they were kind of perceived as, like, yeah, raping women and shit like that. Now it's Now they're kind of, with, like, Pirates of the Caribbean and shit, they've kind of turned it back around to being, and I haven't seen the movie, so maybe I'm mistaken, but they, they made them kind of, like, cool or something uh, again or something like that. Those movies weren't terribly inaccurate in a lot of ways. Uh, in, in fact, in most ways, I'd say they were relatively accurate. Um, and, and certainly they're fun, and, yeah, they did, they did make them sexy again. 
And when they're showing, like, how the governments are dealing with pirates, that's all completely accurate. They did a good job with that. Plus, just the costuming and production on those movies, absolutely outstanding. It's gorgeous to watch. Even I even like the lesser movies. Like, the only ones I really don't care for are the uh, Cthulhu at Sea movies, as I call them, the ones with um, Davy Jones. Uh, I liked all yeah. the rest of them. I thought those were pretty good. Well, yeah, I even liked the other ones. I just didn't think think I didn't think the Davy Jones ones were as good. Uh, and the rest of them I thought were, were pretty top notch. Uh, and certainly I enjoy them. Um, did you watch the hearings on disclose the uh, not disclosure hearings? Uh, did you watch the congressional hearings that happened uh, when when Grush testified uh, earlier this summer? No, <laughs> no point. I mean, I, I read about what he had to say. I, I, when the articles popped up, I read them. And yeah, yeah. I just read them and roll my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I've heard all this before. I know who you're working for. Yeah, you're doing a good job. I'm sure they're they're taking care of you, but you're full of shit. What do you think is going to happen with him now? You think he's just going to fade away, or because uh, you know he's still kind of hanging around making these claims and shit, but can't really seem to back them up yet. He'll be another Hector Elizondo. There are plenty of those. He'll fall in with Elizondo's you, crew. You mean Lou Elizondo? Yeah, I, I meant Lou Elizondo. Sorry about that, Hector Elizondo. Someone else. <laughs> yeah, I meant I meant Louis Elizondo. Um, yeah, that seems pretty, pretty, uh, that seems pretty likely. It's, uh, it's interesting though. I mean, it's pretty wild that, you know, when we first started talking, like nobody was talking about UFOs and now it's like this national going concern in a way. So it's, uh, the subject certainly has seemed to, you know, come around in a lot of ways. Yeah. I used to joke about the fact that I, I don't talk about aliens. I talk about Martians. Yeah, I'm the guy that believes in Martians. Laugh all you want. But now, they're not laughing so much. Maybe a little bit still at Martians, but not aliens. And pretty soon they won't be laughing at Martians either. But, yeah, we've, we've kind of come full circle on a lot of that stuff because it's way different now than when we, we first started talking. <clears throat> now, are you surprised that they've – I mean, I'm not surprised myself, so maybe surprise isn't the right word, but – it, they keep sending these probes to Mars and everything, but they have yet to actually uh, come upon anything uh, that they admit is uh, alien in nature. That they admit. That is the key phrase. Yeah, right. They've got all kinds. Of, there's even a lot of photographic evidence that's available for the public to pour over, and I have. Now, a lot of that stuff gets put down, <clears throat> and when it does, I look at it. And half the time I'm looking at it, and I say, well, no, this looks like just a basic land feature to me, or uh, I'm not seeing what you're seeing here, or yeah, maybe, but I don't think so. And the other half of the time I'll look at it and say, yeah, that looks pretty damn artificial to me. But it's the same with uh, any artifacts on the moon. Although the moon artifacts, since we get a lot better pictures of those, actually, uh, the moon artifacts kind of stand out. I mean, people are really good at denying them, <laughs> but it is a case of denial. It's like, man, look, I've got the Russian Space Agency, Glove Cosmos, I've got NASA, who all the way back in the 1960s, like in 1966, 1967, they were saying, these are artificial structures. As far as we can tell, these are artificial structures. 
so. I mean, it's been acknowledged quietly by the governments for decades. And a whole lot of that stuff, more and more of it comes out. You will find stuff online, but, you know, let the buyer beware. You just have to go look it over and make up your own mind. Uh, like I said, half the time, no, I don't see it. Or it's fanciful, maybe. And the other half of the time, yeah, I'm seeing something there. So, yeah, that's what you admit is, is the phrase. But why do you think they won't just tell us that there's artifacts on Mars? I mean, no one would really get that freaked out, I don't think. Like, that would be, in my opinion, I always think that that would be the safest way to reveal an alien presence. Uh, I guess, let, let me rephrase, let me start over on this question, because you seem pretty certain that they're just going to fake an alien invasion. Do you see any scenario wherein they're just like, there's aliens, but they're not going to fucking kill us? Yes, if the aliens land. If they land, if they're going to land in Red Square, they're going to land in Washington Park, they're going to land uh, in in uh, China's Red Square, they're going to land everywhere. And when that happens, yeah, everyone's going to raise to the microphone to say, hey, we knew all along we were just protecting everybody. Uh, we didn't know how to let the information out, but now that you all know, yeah, we all know. We know, and now you know too. Yeah. And they're all going to want credit. But that would be the scenario where the alien invasion gets called off. <laughs> that That is how that would work. But that's dependent entirely on the guys upstairs. You know, if, if they want to call the game then that's when that would be public disclosure and game over. No more alien invasion yeah. scenario. What's your Thanksgiving song? Uh, no, 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 Hell, no. The cranberry sauce, we're having mashed potatoes. Oh, the turkey looks great. Lynn. Thank you for loving me. Lynn. Thank you for being there. Oh, God. Everyone's thanking. Lynn. The whole world's thanking you. Stop. Thanking Lynn. us for thanking Stop. you. <laughs> You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Ham, the cranberry sauce, we're having mashed potatoes. Oh, the turkey looks great. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being there. Thank you for loving me. Everyone's thanking. The whole world's thanking you. Thanking us for thanking you. Because I just, kind of like what you were saying, I don't know how the fuck they could even pull off a fake alien invasion unless, uh, I suppose unless they had also, like, alien technology to, like, let's say the United States wanted to fake an alien invasion. They would have to, like, also have these fake aliens kind of, like, attack China and Russia and be like, hey, it wasn't us, it was these aliens, and they also attacked us or something like that. You know what I mean? I don't I don't quite see how they'd pull off a fake alien invasion, but, um, you know, maybe I'm not. If they just hit Poughkeepsie, Ohio, who cares? <laughs> no one's going to believe it. I mean, there was a video that was out. Uh, I'm trying to remember when this was or exactly where it was. Uh, some guy called 911 and said there were aliens in his backyard. These, like, giant aliens that were 8 or 10 feet tall or something like that. And police came out and investigated, and it was a thing for a short time. It was like, hey, you know, there's reports of aliens running around here, but you never saw any pictures of them, of course. And, yeah, I mean, isolated little reports. Who cares? This <laughs> is a bunch of nonsense. Uh, people do this kind of crap all the time, and intelligence agencies do it all the time. Well, they used to do it all the time. They don't do it so much anymore. Um, they used to stage crap just so it would be discredited. They do it on purpose so that everyone would say, oh, this is bullshit, and ignore any legitimate sightings that happen to come across. <laughs> so there probably is still a certain amount of that going on. 
I mean, it's not like there's this unilateral monolithic policy now to say, let's get everyone to believe in aliens. It's not like that. It's like, well, let's get them started thinking about it. We still have to deny it. We still have to play certain games, but let's get them started thinking about it seriously. And it, yeah. it sort of gradually rolls into place. It's not like they flip a switch and say, well, this is what we're going to do today. Do you have a particular favorite UFO case that you've uh, looked at over the years uh, of your research? Oh, bunches. And uh, they're in my books. Uh, the Antonio well, what's Bullis the first one that comes to mind? Antonio Villas Boas, uh, 1957, Brazil. Uh, he was yeah. a Brazilian farmer. Um, this is a relatively long story, but it, it's one of my favorites because he, unlike any other abductee, was not subject to any hypnotic memory erasure. He was fully conscious from start to finish in the whole thing. So his report I take as pretty well gospel, and I fully believe it. As a matter of fact, for the most part, the UFO community does, too. They always have. He's a very, very credible witness. Uh, he ended up becoming a lawyer, I believe, eventually, and I think he's dead now. I'm not sure. Um, but as a matter of fact, the Brazilian Air Force and the United States Air Force used to occasionally fly him out to sites, uh, to UFO sites, for consultation. So plainly, the military of two countries believed in, too. Plus, there was physical evidence. He came down with radiation sickness that he couldn't have possibly come down with, and it was acknowledged as radiation sickness. He had body marks on him that he described how he got, and, well, it added up. So, yeah, he's a very, very credible, I consider him the most credible of UFO witnesses. Um, he, uh, his story happened over a, a period of time. Uh, there was one week, I mean, this was, he just went out and farmed, that's all. And they usually farmed at night because it wasn't so hot. Uh, he and his brother lived together, they did the farming. And, and in one week, there was this UFO that showed up kind of outside their window, and it was really bright. And they, it was like, <laughs> shut the windows against it in the blinds, and it kind of hid. And then it, it went away. And they would see it like a couple nights later, just sort of hovering in the distance, and wonder about it, and it would move around a little bit. Well, then a week later, uh, Antonio was out just doing some farming on his own. And, oh, wait, no, and then that first week when they sighted the UFO, uh, they would go chasing after it. It would, like, be all, all the way over to the right of the field. It's all, all the way over to the west. They'd, they'd go chasing it on the tractor over to the west. And as soon as they got close to it, it would zip all the way over to the east. So they'd turn around and they'd go over to the east. It would zip over to the north and zip over to the south. It was obviously playing cat and mouse with them and having a good time. Yeah, I mean, they, they weren't going to catch up with it, but plainly, it knew that, that it was being chased, and it was toying with them. It was having some fun. So the week after all that happens, uh, Antonio's out farming all by himself, and the UFO lands, like right next to his tractor. Uh, it's, it's very close by. <laughs> you know, his engine cuts out, and boom, they land right next to him. It, and it's straight out of a Warner Brothers cartoon, right? These three legs come down, boop, it lands on the ground, a ramp comes down, and all the little gray guys come out. And the little gray guys grab him and pick him up, carry him on board, and he's kicking and screaming the entire while. But, you know, they just pick him up and carry him on board. Ramp closes up, they calm him down, and they take a little uh, glass, I guess it's kind of syringe, 
It's a vacuum tube. They're going to scratch his chin with a vacuum tube to collect some blood, and it left a little tiny scratch on his chin. That was part of his evidence. That's like the least of his evidence, but that was part of it. Um, and then they just kind of showed him around, and they took him to this one room that was uh, empty. He describes the rooms in great detail, and it, it does happen to match with a lot of later abductee accounts. Um, and it's one of the things I use to gauge the accuracy of a lot of abductee accounts, actually. Uh, they eventually took him to this room uh, that was empty except for a mattress. And this gas came in, which was kind of noxious. He didn't care for it, and it made him throw up. And then the gas was gone. And a couple of minutes later, in comes this naked woman who was uh, relatively short, very shapely. Uh, she had platinum blonde hair but red pubic hair, so he assumed it was dyed. He described her as looking like an Arabian princess. She had really large almond eyes, but she was completely human. And um, she plainly was interested in him. Uh, she fooled around with him. She wouldn't kiss, but she fooled around with him. She had sex with him a couple of times. She collected some sperm in, like, a test tube. And uh, then when they were done, uh, she just left. And at that point, the little gray guys came in, and they escorted Antonio off the ship. Ramp went up. Shoop! Got up into the sky and away it went. And there's Antonio Villas-Boas with his story that, as a matter of fact, quite a few people believed. Yeah, they still do. And I'm one of them. And that is my favorite UFO abduction story right there. Now, right, I guess I yeah. tally with, it tallies with later stories also. Yeah, well, it's certainly, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a classic case for sure. Yeah, it's 1957. <laughs> it was the same year that uh, Invasion of the Saucer Men came out, as a matter of fact, which had in it, you know, little bitty aliens with giant heads and giant eyes uh, that had needle fingers that injected alcohol into their victims to erase their memory. Uh, they also attacked cattle, which had not been reported yet anywhere in the literature. Just saying. And when the military goes to try and grab the saucer, it's booby-trapped and it blows up. And there are some instances where that may or may not have happened, but probably has. In any event, there was a little bit of accurate UFO information in that movie, 1957. It's the same year that Antonio Villasquez got picked up by the little gray guys. Yeah. <clears throat> have you looked at the Batty and Barney Hill case at all? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what do you make of that? No question. And, oh, I believe them. I've always believed them. Uh, they also had physical evidence to back it. The most important of which in my book is that Pease Air Force Base recorded a UFO in their exact vicinity, right where they were, when they said they had a UFO encounter. They would have no way of knowing that. But, yeah, it was confirmed by Pease Air Force Base that there was a UFO in that area right at that time. Uh, there were also uh, electromagnetic uh, there were kind of dip marks on the back of their, uh, on the trunk of their car, uh, which had uh, electromagnetic effects. Compasses would go wild over it. It kind of mess up watches. So and they had physical evidence to back their story. And yeah, I always found their story completely credible. Uh, and I still do. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a, yeah, well, I live pretty close to the area where it happened, so it's yeah, it's kind of like a famous case around here that's uh, pretty well known and, and uh, oh, yeah. celebrated in the New England area for uh, 
you know, being so historic uh, as the first uh, real American abduction case. So it's uh, it's interesting yeah. for sure. How about uh, – I'd have to say that Betty and Bernie Hill are the most famous UFO abduction case, probably worldwide. Yeah, or maybe Travis Walton in modern times, but even that this hasn't kind of – Travis Walton is disputed. Uh, Betty and Bernie Hill is not very widely disputed. I mean, you're going to have the denier critics and stuff like that, but like I said, there is evidence to back their story. Uh, Walton – there are a lot of – I believe Walton personally um, – I'm, I'm satisfied with the evidence. I'm mean, a little bit on the fence, but I'm inclined to believe him. Um, he, it, his entire report, frankly, sounds quite credible to me, and he does have plenty of witnesses backing him, and there was some evidence behind it. So I, I tend to believe him. Uh, it's questionable whether he might be more famous than Betty and Barney Hill now, uh, but overall I think Betty and Barney Hill are, are probably the most famous case, at least one of the least disputed. Yeah, well, definitely it's certainly, yeah, the most famous uh, case. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, like, I mean, like if you talk to some young people, they'd probably say Travis Walton, but it's kind of like uh, the Betty and Barney Hill case sort of transcends time in a way. It's it's still really well-known and everything. I think that if, if, if you haven't seen, if you weren't around in the 90s when the Travis Walton movie came out, then I think you probably a lot of people probably kind of missed the boat on it, like anyone who's... Youngish now, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah, offhand, with the Walton movie, Fire in the Sky, is a much better known movie than the TV movie that was made about Betty and Barney Hill, uh, which was called The UFO Incident, which is an excellent movie. If you have a chance to see it, I believe it's on YouTube. Um, they have uh, James Earl Jones playing Barney, and I'll think of her name in a second. Shit, who was it? Playing Betty. She's a very good actress. And uh, it, they did a, a very credible dramatization of that, and I think a very realistic dramatization of it. Yeah. Back then, that was extremely well-known. Everybody saw it. But, I mean, that was way back in the 1970s, like the early 1970s, uh, or early to mid. It was like, it might have been 74, 75, right in there. Um, back in 75, now that I think about it. But, you know, no one's seen that now where a whole lot of people remember Fire in the Sky. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I'm almost surprised they haven't, like, remade it or anything in recent years because now it's old enough that it seems like everything gets remade these days. I would hope they would do a more accurate job aboard the spaceship. <laughs> that was my biggest complaint with that movie. And Tracy Torme was the guy that wrote the screenplay to that, okay? And Tracy Torme is like a big UFO abduction researcher. Uh, yeah, yeah. Everything pretty well accurate up to the uh, everything reported on the spacecraft, where everything that was in the movie was not at all what Travis Walton reported. The story was completely different from any of that. You got the aliens shrink-wrapping people and sticking needles in their eyes and all this other stuff. No, no, none of that happened to Travis Walton. But Travis Walton's experience was overall pretty mundane, really. He was scared, but it, they didn't hurt him. He was fine. Uh, he remembers seeing quite a few things, and he reported them in quite a lot of good detail. And then he just kind of lost his memory, and the next thing he knew, he was walking down a road. And uh, I do find his story pretty credible, really. Yeah. Well, it's definitely an interesting case. I'm not sure what to make of it. 
there's been some chatter in recent years that it may not be on the up and up, but we'll, uh, you know, time will tell on that, I'm a little on the phone. I'm a little on the fence. Let's say I'm open-minded to it. If someone was able to completely debunk it, I'd say, well, okay. Um, but, yeah, if I'm a little on the fence on it, I lean toward his side. I lean toward believing. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, now, refresh my memory here. You are not a believer in, in the that we went to the moon, correct? If we went to the moon, we did not go there the way we said we did, is how I like to put right. that. Yeah. So do you and think... I do think Stanley Kubrick takes it. Do you think... Well, I do think slow Stanley down. Kubrick takes it for nothing. You think Stanley, yeah, Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick... Yeah. ...had a role in faking the moon landing, is what you're saying? Yes. Yes, I do. And why do you think that? A number of reasons. First off, it fits his personality. It fits his timeline. It fits his personality change. Uh, and the special effects that you see in the moonshots are the same special effects that he was using in 2001 and other movies. Like what? What kind of special effects? Namely, the screen. There's a glass-beaded screen. I think it's called a Scotch Guard. Uh, it's a Scotch something screen. It consists of a whole lot of little bitty glass beads all really close together. Now, you might remember when Richard Hoagland was showing these images of uh, glass crystalline cities on the moon. He only saw yeah. those glass crystalline cities when he subjected it to a certain kind of light. He had to change the, the contrast on the image in order to bring that up. Well, that's, that's exactly what a scotch glass curtain would look like. <laughs> so, yeah, he found something all right, but he didn't find cities on the moon. I think he found Stanley Kubrick's rear projection screen. On the moon? Not on the moon. Never in a studio shot. Oh, okay. So you're saying he found it in the footage of the moon landing. I see what you're saying. Okay, okay. Right. I didn't know Richard Hoagland was into studying moon hoax stuff, so that's that's uh, oh, kind of news to me. Yeah, he, he, I don't believe he does think that's a hoax. I'm pretty sure he thinks that we went there. And, and I'm not going to deny that we, we might have. Uh, the reason that I'm kind of curious about that myself is uh, we get reports from the astronauts about the moon that if they didn't go, it would be surprising that they mentioned, especially given the scope of what, to me, is pretty obvious fraud. Uh, for instance, they talked about all the stars that they could see uh, from the surface of the moon. Like, it just fills with stars flipping everywhere. But every single shot that we get from the moon, it, it's, the sky's black. You know, you just see the Earth in the background and there are no stars anywhere. They're focused on infinity to get the Earth in focus. Where are the stars? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm getting reports from the astronauts that differ from what you're seeing from the footage. Uh, and, and like I said, I don't necessarily think we didn't go. Just if we did go, we didn't go the way that we said we did. And I would not know how it is we did go. But, yeah, it's possible that we actually went. It's also possible that we simply got all of our information from robot probes. And a robot probe could set a flag up there, too. I mean, there's nothing to that. It's pretty easy. Yeah. So they say, oh, we can see the flag. Well, we've got telescopes. We can see the flag. Obviously, we went. Yeah. And a robot could have stuck it there, too. Come on. Robots do it on Mars all the time. So what do you make of the current 
space race then among all these uh, super rich people trying to get to get out into space. You think? Uh, I mean, I know right now they're only taking people to low Earth orbit. So you think they can't even get anyone past that to go anywhere? Because uh, I suppose let's put it this way: it, at some point, it's kind of like this alien disclosure thing. It's like they keep pushing the envelope here of going out into space. At some point. Like, NASA says they're going to try and send people to the fucking moon again within, like, the next five years. So, uh... kills me. That's sort of a W. That this is, like, 2001. 2000-2001. Uh, w is saying, we want, to make, we want to get to the moon in the next 10 years, 20 years. I think he said 20 years. Okay, well, we were already there back in 1969, so why is it so hard to get there? Why would it take us another 20 years? Did we miraculously lose the technology and we have to reinvent it from scratch? Uh, yeah, I, I just find that really kind of funny. But, yeah, there's a big thrust to getting back into space and especially to the moon. Uh, the moon has uh, certain economic benefits. They've got, uh, I'm trying to think what it's called, helium-2, hydrogen-2, helium-2? I don't remember. Helium-2. Helium-3. Yeah, it's helium-2, helium-3. This is stuff that's a a really good energy source, and the moon is just loaded with it. Uh, We could be mining crap out of that stuff. Plus, I mean, there are other elements up there, too. Uh, So there are lots of people that want mining rights to the moon. And frankly, I believe that's what the aliens are doing there and have been for a long time. There's evidence of that on the surface. Uh, I think they've been strip mining it for millennia. And uh, we want to be part of that game, too. We want to play. We want in. Hey, how come you guys have all the fun? We want the resources, too. So, of course, India wants them. Japan wants them. Britain wants them. Uh, America definitely wants them. Russia wants them. Everybody wants them. Uh, And, yes, there's some competition taking place. Like India has recently had quite a bit of success around the moon. Uh, they lost one of their landers, as I recall, and I think they eventually lost the second. But um, they did get quite a bit of information, and they went to the dark side, which I also find interesting, and I haven't heard enough on that yet. But uh, the mere fact that they were doing it does a lot to me. India was celebrating it the same way that we did our supposed moon landing. They were, like, cheering in the streets and waving flags. And I don't blame them. That's quite an accomplishment. Uh, China's had a couple of rovers up there uh, that didn't fare very well, but they did land them. They did get them landing and working for a brief time. So, yeah, we've got China, India. Um, certainly the United States wants to go back. Russia wants to go back. And if we were smart, if we were not fighting with Russia, for God's sake, why don't we just band together and to pull our resources and get the hell up there? And that's my <laughs> Well, that's what they were doing with the space station, but... Right. Well, they have a giant rocket, dude. I mean, have you seen the giant rocket that they sent up on a test run, and now next year they're going to send it up on a second test run with people? Have you heard about this? Ooh, no. Wait, I sort of have. They're they're only planning on taking it... um, I thought they were going to take that to low Earth orbit also, or just out of low Earth orbit. No, dude. Uh, No, they're... (laughs) They made a giant fucking rocket, man, and they sent it up to the moon, and it looped around the moon and came back to test to see if it works. And now they're now next year they're gonna send it with a, a crew of like six people to see if people can make it on the second thing. It's gonna go further out from Earth than any rocket's ever gone, I guess. 
Ooh, that's exciting. No, I had not heard that, and that is exciting. Uh, what I'm curious about is how they're going to beat the Van Allen radiation belt. That was one of the big problems with the whole idea of the moon landing in the first place. There are potential ways to get around them. Uh, there's also a tremendous amount of radiation on the moon, which is a really serious problem. Um, and there are all kinds of different explanations for that, one of which is it doesn't have an atmosphere and it's constantly bombarded by solar particles. But there's also, officially, there's Neptunium and Plutonium on the moon, which <laughs> cannot occur in nature, at least by any process we know. Uh, I, I actually kind of try and not debunk that but explain it. I say, well, you know, possibly it's only we've never seen it occur in nature because of the constant bombardment that the moon does get uh, from the sun and solar particles and all kinds of space radiation. So maybe there is a natural process that could create those. It is stretching things a bit, but I'll entertain that. It is, yeah. however, very odd that we can only produce those synthetically on Earth, and they are on the moon. Well, I would recommend Googling Artemis 1. That's the name of the rocket. Uh, it launched a year ago tomorrow, and it did a successful uh, mission. Um, uh, and now next year, around the same time, they're going to send a crew on a lunar flyby. So, uh, you know, maybe they'll think that too. But... Yeah, I do remember What's the that? Artemis 1. I just kind of forgot about it. Uh, yeah, I do remember Artemis 1. Uh, but it, it was kind of in the back of my memory. I hadn't thought about it much. Mostly I remember it because I liked the name they chose. I thought Artemis was a really good choice. Yeah. Uh, let me see what else we got for questions from listeners here. Uh, hold on. Well, what are, your, are you following the Marvel superhero thing? Because it seems like that whole thing. We're going to move to pop culture now. So. Uh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What, what is this? What are you wowing? Well, yeah, I follow that very closely. Uh, I've been watching everything that's been happening with Disney, with Marvel, with Lucasfilms, because they are the lightning rod for everything taking place in Hollywood when it comes to the culture wars. Uh, yeah, Marvel is just eating so much hind tit, it isn't funny. Uh, they lost a billion dollars in their film industry this year. That's just this year. Uh, they have not really had any big successes. Uh, the only real success was uh, the third Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> but it does not remotely... <laughs> excuse me. It does not remotely make up for the major flops and bonds that have been the rest of Disney stable all year long. Disney has been downgraded twice officially in the stock market just this year, like in the last half a year, I think. Uh, they are really having serious problems. If they just released the Marvels, and the Marvels has the lowest opening ever for a Marvel movie, um, it, it just bites. They're not going to make their money back on that. It's going to lose money terribly. And everyone knows why Disney is losing money, except Disney. And even Disney knows that they just refuse to acknowledge it. They keep doubling down on all the woke shit. They say, no, 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 it's, it's the audience's fault. It's all you guys' fault. You're all racist. You're all misogynist. You need to get with the program. What the hell's the matter with you? Shame on you people for not supporting progressive everything. Uh, it, it's all your fault. 
Hey, yeah, they're not buying your tickets because you would do nothing but insult them and put product up they don't want to see. They're not boycotting you. They don't like what you serve. They don't want to go to your restaurant anymore. You're serving them sand instead of a meal. So, yeah, well, just I mean, if I was to venture a guess, I'd say that I think people are probably just fucking so- sick of superhero movies, dude. Like, there's just too, that's the, just too many, and that's quite frankly... Unless you're really into this shit, like, I really don't care about, like, these second and now third tier superheroes. Like, I'll watch them. I mean, I don't watch any of these movies, quite frankly, but I would I would at least be willing to entertain a movie like a Wonder Woman, a Superman, a Batman, a Wolverine, X-Men, any of the top tier superheroes. Spider-Man, sure. That's... And you notice those still do really well. But it's like, I don't really care about fucking, like, Super Phantasmo. And, like, even if he has, like, a 40-year history in the comic books, it's like, I don't want to see a super fucking fan. Like, Ant-Man? Like, I thought that was a joke. Like, get the fuck out of here. Ant-Man? Like, what is Ant-Man? And it did pretty well, apparently, but it's like... You can only no, you can only go to the well so many that. times and, and, and plug an A list celebrity in to play a fucking B list, C list superhero. And I think they just kinda ran out of fucking I think they kinda squeak tried to get too much blood from the stone. Well, the thing that lays the lie to that particular narrative of superhero fatigue is Spider Man. Because Spider Man stays on top. And that's because it is not part of the MCU. It is Sony. All the rest of the Marvel properties are Disney. But Spider-Man is separate. Spider-Man is Sony. So they do their own thing with Spider-Man, and Spider-Man consistently does very, very well in the box office. And also, uh, it also lances the idea of, well, people don't like seeing minorities in leading roles. No, that's not true. And we got a black Spider-Man now. He's a separate character from Peter Parker. He's not Peter Parker. He's a new Spider-Man. And Peter Parker sometimes appears alongside him. But he's a very popular character. He does quite well. Uh, yeah, the Spider-Man movies are not having any trouble at all. But all the rest of the Marvel shit is shit. I mean, it's just terrible. It's so completely different from back in the day. When you're talking about Marvel Phase 1, Phase 2, uh, and I don't know the exact differentiations on that, but what I mean is when you're dealing with uh, the core characters, Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk, uh, when you're dealing with them, these movies were always successful. And that was because they remained true to the characters and true to the source material, and therefore true to the fans. The fans would be given exactly what they wanted. Uh, then, bam, they nuked it all to the ground. They literally burned their entire universe to the ground with Avengers Endgame. And they thought that they could sandwich Captain Marvel in there uh, to make that a springboard for their new Marvel universe. Didn't work. And Captain Marvel only made money, and it made a tremendous amount of money. Uh, Captain Marvel only made money because everyone, the entire audience was told in advance, you have to see this movie to really understand Endgame. It was sandwiched right between Infinity Wars and Endgame. Well, Captain Marvel had shit to do with Endgame. <laughs> Carol Danvers shows up for like you know two minutes at the end of the movie and doesn't even say anything. She's just there. Or she might say, good, I'm needed. Here I am. And that, that's about it. Uh, and since then, I mean, they, they just released the Marvels, and the Marvel is the worst performing at the box office that Marvel has ever seen. It's way in the toilet. 
Ant-Man Quantumania, way in the toilet. And these movies are just bombing badly. And they, they like to say flop. If this is not a flop. This is a bomb. And the same thing happened with Indiana Jones and Lucasfilm. They do Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. God, that thing fell hard. Uh, they made the mistake of opening that at Cannes uh, a month before the actual release, and they invited all the critics to come see it, which shows you just how clueless these guys are. This is how clueless Disney is. Uh, they thought that they were going to get good reviews out of these guys, and these are the wined and dined critics. These are their friends. These are the friendly critics. The best the friendly critics could do was give it a middling review on the weaker side. And news of all that got up because it was not a positive review in the lot. And sure enough, the thing opened and bam, it just fell right on its face. It did terribly. Uh, everything came out well in advance. It was a strategic catastrophe on Disney's part. Uh, and practically everything they do anymore fits that same mold. Now, hopefully they learn from that one. They, they kind of try and keep things secret now. <laughs> it doesn't work too well. Uh, the the Marvel Universe is now considered the MCU by all of its critics because it, its formula is very simple. Uh, South Park hit it perfectly where they were mocking all this stuff. Put a chick in it, make her gay, and make it lame. And that's the entire formula now for the MCU. Everything has to be female. Men are superfluous uh, or just entirely unimportant, if they're even there at all. Uh, the women have to be minorities. They have to be gay. Uh, and they have to be super. They have to be Mary Sue's. They're they're all powerful. They don't have to train just like Ray in the new Star Wars. Uh, she's just you know born perfect. That's all. You know Luke Skywalker. He spent a lifetime mastering all this stuff, and now he's just an old alcoholic on a planet somewhere. Where Ray, yeah, she's just born super. And she doesn't need to train. Whoop, she's got it. <laughs> she never needs help. She never needs to be rescued. Captain Marvel, she's all-powerful. She can ignite a sun. She can destroy worlds. She can create worlds. She can ignite a sun. She doesn't have any kryptonite. She's just absolutely perfect, except for personality, which everybody hates, because she's an arrogant bitch. Uh, <laughs> this, is why, this is why Marvel is falling flat on his face over and over and over again. They just keep producing shit. They keep producing the same shit. They're doing it exactly like... When Marvel was originally putting stuff out, they did nothing but great stuff. And as soon as Disney took it, shit. Then worse shit. Worse shit still. Can't believe how much worse this shit is than the last shit. They keep repeating the formula, doubling down on it, and making it worse every time. Uh, that's what's happened to the MCU. The MCU is dead. It is completely dead. There is no reviving it. The smartest thing they can do, the consensus from the critics... And mind you, I watch the YouTube critics all the time because they are funny as hell. Um, and they're, they're speaking just the straight-up truth. And the honest critics agree with them. Uh, the smartest thing by consensus that Marvel could do is just stop. Shelve it. Let it sit for 10 years and then come back and reboot it. And they stand a remote chance of getting something going because with Deadpool 3, and that's not supposed to come out until 2025, but with Deadpool 3, they stand a chance of bringing it back because they're going to bring back Wolverine. Wolverine is going to be bringing right. up a Deadpool. And that's going to be a crowd draw. That will bring people in. First off, Ryan Reynolds is very popular. Deadpool is very popular. And right. uh, Wolverine, way popular. So, yeah, you put the two of them together, just don't fuck it up, Disney. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> do it right. <laughs> right now, they're looking at just nothing but crap. They're, they're losing money hand over fist. Uh, they have to. Right now, their biggest one is Snow White. Uh, and Snow White, they shot in the head coming out of the gate so bad. They've had to delay it and delay it and delay it and reshoot it and reshoot it and reshoot it. And now they've dumped that off until 2025 because they're practically going to reshoot the whole goddamn thing because everyone hated it. They hated everything they saw coming from behind the scenes. They hated everything they heard coming from behind the scenes. They hated everything about it. It was terrible. And uh, they had Rachel Zegler playing Snow White, and she's like Brie Larson. She's just poison. You put her in front of a camera and hand her a microphone, and she's going to insult everybody. She will insult the entire audience one way or another before she's done talking. And everyone will hate her, and they do. Everyone hates Rachel Zegler, and they hate Brie Larson. They just don't like them. And they, they just keep opening their mouths. Someone needs to put a cork in their mouth and shut them up, keep them in the movie, but don't put them on the docket. Don't let them open their mouths because they're going to alienate at least half their audience when they do. Uh, just I don't know anything about any of these fucking – I don't know who these two people are, so I'll just – what about the DC movies, dude? Do you follow those? Are they uh, – because that's another whole slew of, like, big-time superheroes that uh, – they never really got the DC universe going. So is is that? Do you have any hope for that happening? No, I think I think DC is a hopeless cause. Uh, DC does the best animated movies. They're really fantastic. I I can't remember the last time I saw a DC movie that I didn't like. There are ones I like more than others, but they're all really good. Uh, when it came to like the Arrowverse, they were very good on TV initially. Then they went woke, and as soon as they went woke, boom, the ratings fell, everything dropped, and the Arrowverse just kind of died. It just sort of whimpered itself to death. Uh, they keep trying to jumpstart that uh, the same way that Marvel is trying to jumpstart um, their Phase 4 or Phase 5 or whatever the hell it is they're in now by taking lesser characters that no one gives a shit about and trying to center things on them. Like Gotham Knights came out on TV, and, and it's a CW show. What a shock, right? So this thing comes out, and it, it's pure trash, and it's, all, it's laughably bad. <laughs> Everything they put out is laughably bad. Uh, Batwoman, they put Batwoman out before that. And Batwoman's selling point was that Batwoman was a uh, lesbian. Anyway, the first lesbian superhero. Everyone wants that, right? No. No, they really don't. No one watched it. No one cared. The ratings were bad when they started. They dropped a half in no time flat, and bam, soon as no one was watching it at all, and the thing died. Uh, they decided, hey, we're going to make Batgirl. Only we're going to make her black. Because everyone wants a black Batgirl, and we have to have inclusion. Guess what? They filmed the entire thing. It was in the can, ready to be released. David Zasloff came in, took one look at it, and said, we're not releasing this. And they wrote it off. It's a tax write-off. It's locked in their vault. It's a tax write-off. It, it, it was in the can. It was shot. It was ready to go. But the film was so bad that he just was not going to release it because Warner Brothers was already taking too heavy a financial hit. Now, you can blame any number of different things on that. I blame the woke because people are just flipping sick of it. There is a certain amount of superhero fatigue. Uh, I do agree with that. Uh, not as much as the narrative says. And, again, Spider-Man disproves that. Uh, but DC, DC is every bit as bad as, as the Marvel. Actually, the, I think the Marvel Universe now is worse than DC. And that's saying a lot. 
because DC just cannot get anything going. The Flash was a major bomb. Uh, the Marvels were the worst bomb. <laughs> but yeah, the Flash was a big bomb. Blue Beetle was a big bomb. Um, how the hell do they keep investing in these eight-tier characters that no one gives a shit about? No one wants it. I mean, the Flash, that should have been hit. That should have been fantastic. They fucked it up. They messed it up. Too much multiverse shit, too much superhero fatigue. They messed it up. So is there a movie so, yeah, you've seen recently that you have liked? Oh, let me think. There are probably some horror movies, but uh, it's because it's like the spur of the moment. I think, well, what have I seen lately? What's uh, the, the most menu. recent movie really you've seen the that movie. you like? The Menu. Uh, the menu that's a good movie. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic movie. It's it's a black comedy that is years ahead of its time. I don't think that people are going to really appreciate that movie for another 10 years. Uh, but I think it's it's funny as hell, and it's also very scary. I just think it's a really brilliant movie. It's extremely well written. It's got terrific cast. Uh, it's very well produced, and I just loved it. It's, it's a great movie. Uh, let me think what else. Uh, there was that one independent horror movie, Talk to Me. I thought it was overrated, but it was pretty good. And especially considering it was filmed on a little literal shoestring budget. Bam, it just made money hand over fist. Uh, it did very well, so Boyd will be a sequel to it. Uh, I do see quite a few good movies come out. Usually I catch up to them a little bit late. I catch, to them, I catch up to them on cable or uh, when they start to stream. Because I've got a fire stick. I can you know plug into some of this stuff now. Uh, there are movies I want to see. I want to catch the new Lovecraft out. Uh, spiritual, suitable, suitable play. Uh, it's based on the thing on the doorstep, which is a pretty good story. It's kind of a middling Lovecraft story, but apparently the movie's very good. Uh, I like it, and I like the cast, and I kind of want to see it. Uh, I know I've seen some other movies I like, but it's, it's because I haven't followed them. <laughs> like, as soon as we're not talking, oh, yeah, there's, 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 there's all kinds of things. Uh, mostly what I watch is horror movies, and I like them. I, I do want to see the uh, new Jennifer Lawrence comedy that did not do well. Um, it looks very funny. It's like it was made for me, and I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it just came out in uh, two, three months. What's that? Well, it, it, it came out like the last two, three months, and I can't think of the name of it. That's but horror I movie? Yeah. No, no, no. It's a Jennifer Lawrence comedy. Oh, I saw it this weekend, yeah. It's pretty good. I forget the name of it. Um, oh, shit. Uh, yeah, I think you do that good problem. Yeah, it's uh, the, uh, No Hard Feelings. feelings. It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It's on Netflix, I think. Uh, it, oh, it's on Netflix. I'll definitely watch it. Yeah, it, it, the previews made me laugh. I understand it did not do well at the box office. I'm kind of scratching my head because the previews are making me laugh. Um, yeah, I want to watch that. I might watch it tonight, actually, since it's on Netflix. I'll just dial it on up. Yeah, for sure you should check it out. Uh, what do you got planned for the holiday? We're heading towards the end now. So what uh, What do you What do you got locked in for the holiday? What are your plans for uh, for the big turkey day? Well, unfortunately, uh, I always spend the holidays with my best friend who lives down in Thornton, but he is in process of moving out of state right now. So uh, he doesn't have a house to even host uh, Thanksgiving or any other holiday. And I got nowhere to go, so I'm probably going to eat a TV dinner. 
Oh, damn. <laughs> I'll, I'll go get a turkey TV dinner and eat that and uh, watch probably a hell of a lot of movies. Now, people are always asking if you're going to get on. Uh, well, actually, what about the books? Any any uh, any news about a re-release of the books? Or I think how over the years we've talked about you maybe writing a new book, but I don't know. You any any possibility of you bringing back the old books, or an update on the old books, or a new book, or anything like that? Any new any possible new material coming from you uh, down the pike? Uh, new material I hadn't really thought about. Uh, as far as getting the other books out, that's definitely on my game plan. The problem is I'm so badly financially strapped that I just can't really get around to it. Um, plus, I'm not exactly sure how to go about it. I don't know who to talk to to go about getting it done right because uh, I don't want to just, you know, put them out and mess it up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Do you have, like, the rights to the republish them anyway? I can get them, and, and it wouldn't be that expensive. Um I could afford to get the rights back. Uh, they're, they're, uh, the author can buy the rights back for not too much. Uh, the problem then is finding the publisher and getting the film to him and getting it all done. Uh, and I'm not sure what all is entailed with that or who I should go with or any of that. I don't know who to consult. I don't know who to talk to. So I'm just kind of left spinning my wheels on that so I figure out what to do. Uh, the friend of mine that's moving would probably help me out financially to get the, the rights back to it and possibly even to get it uh, back up in front. Uh, he's even talked about that a couple times. So it's, it's not like we haven't discussed it. But like I said, he's moving out of state. I don't get to see him very often anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, we didn't keep in touch by Gmail and telephone. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, those are pretty big books, but if you get the rights back to them, you could just, like, flip it over on the Amazon, and then they publish it for you, in a sense. So it's like you really wouldn't have to do too much to get them back out into circulation. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, then it's a question of who you have published it is what it really comes down to. And there are different self-publishing outfits, um, and you need to kind of go over – you have to go over everything they require, what you get for it, uh, legal requirements, all this other crap. I mean, it's just there's legal stuff that I need to go over and just stuff I don't know. Like, yeah, there's Amazon. There are all kinds of other different publishing outfits, and I could go with any one of them, but I don't know anything about any of them. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know who to talk to about it. I'm kind of on my own out here, you know. I'm just sort of a lone hermit. Well, people do love the books. I know that. I'm looking at Amazon right now, actually, and uh, there's one copy of Hollywood. You get people. Well, yeah, if they're listening to this next week, and they're still, it's still on there. Yeah, there's a paperback version of Hollywood versus the Alien. It's only 27 bucks, which is actually pretty good. So, usually they really jack them up on well, here because they're hard to find. Uh, like I always tell everybody, occasionally I've seen those things go up as high as like 700 bucks. You know, <laughs> just wait. It, it, that'll happen for a week or two. Wait a week or two because they're going to go right back down to 20, 25 bucks. You know, I don't know why or, or how it is they managed to jack them up that high, but yeah, I've seen that happen. Yeah, it's weird. It's like I don't know why it why it is that way, but yeah, there's a yeah. I'm looking at one here that's like twenty bucks for Architects of the Underworld. So they're not hard to, but once those are picked up, when somebody buys those that are out there, then it's like. Then the price goes back up, crazy and shit. So it's kind of, it's 
kind of weird. It's a little weird, but, you know, that's that's how Amazon works, I guess. Well, that's kind of a bummer you're eating the TV dinner. You can't. You got no one else you can hang out with on the holiday? No, I really don't. I'm kind of on my own now. Uh, the only person, I mean, I've been canceled by a lot of the people that I knew. <laughs> I, I don't fit in with the whole woke ideology. And if you don't, then they just cut you off. <clears throat> they don't even want to talk to you. Even if you try and stay off politics, they don't want to talk to you. You know, when they cancel you, you're just done. So I really well, only got I mean, the look, one guy. Chris, that I'm going to be honest with you. I just I, I don't I don't get involved in the culture wars. So ranting and raving about wokeness doesn't really turn me on, man. So, so it's kind of like you, you ought to just let it go. <laughs> that's that's just kind of my take on it. Well, but this, if if that's how you see the world, that's how you see the world. But to me, it's like I really can't be bothered by it. You know, if, if, I just let people live their lives. That's kind of my deal. And so. Um, you know, but to each their own, right? Well, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I do, too. I try and stay off politics as much as I can because everyone I know is, like, way radical far left. Uh, I mean, they trigger at everything. You can't say anything without upsetting them. Uh, if you talk about just the weather and everyone's health, you're going to trigger them somehow. And eventually, you know, the, the topic is going to come around the movies or TV or something like that, and it's impossible to just pretend that all that isn't there. So even if you go easy on it, uh, you're still going to end up pissing somebody off. I guess. I guess. You know, I, I like I said, that's just not really my bag, man, but it's, you know, you do you. Um, so what, what else? What do you got? So you got no idea about the book uh, and no possible problem. You should write another book, dude. I mean, people love you. They want to hear your shit. I mean, you ought to. You ought to think about writing something new. It's been like 20 years or something since the books came out. I mean, probably 25, maybe 30 now at this point. Like, I think people would be interested in your take on the modern UFO scene. Well, the problem is really not anything in the modern UFO scene. It's a lot of bullshit. Um, I could update the old books, and I probably should. Uh, it's definitely on my plate to get those back out, but I've been saying that for years, and for all the reasons that I've, I've stated again tonight. Uh, I just really don't know how to go about it. It's pre-sailing territory. Uh, plus, I'm just, I am not in financially good shape. I manage, but I'm not in financially good shape. I've got all kinds of problems. Um, so that, well, that's unfortunate you know, to hear. It's, it's still on the plate and it's still on the to-do list. I just have no idea when I'm going to actually get, get it done. Yeah. <coughs> well, eventually you will, I think. So, I don't know. I, don't, I couldn't tell you. I don't know anything about fucking, uh, I don't know anything about sort of getting a book reissued or any of that shit. So, you're you're talking to the wrong guy on that subject, I guess. And, and no one else does either. <laughs> That's the whole thing. I mean, if I had other authors to talk to, it would be a lot easier. Well, there's lots of people out there, man. You got to get out there. I mean, you're not on social media or anything, right? Yeah, I pretty well stay off social media. I don't trust it. Uh, the friend in question had his phone hacked. My brother had his phone hacked. Um, I kind of avoid a lot of online stuff. It's just safer that way. Yeah. Well, I've got Skype. I just I don't even know how to use it. 
I have it. Well, if you don't know what you're doing on social media, it's probably not a great idea to get on it now. <laughs> that might be the best advice yeah. I can give you. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's it's a it's an interesting world to try to navigate. So it's it's not exactly uh, it's a little bit of the wild west out there. So you know, right. Uh, but people want to be in touch with you. That, I guess that's the point. I mean, if I were you, I, it wouldn't hurt to fucking just start a Facebook page or something like that, just so people then you could maybe get these books out or you know do other someone, shit. Someone so. did open. Someone did open a Facebook page in my name with a picture of me. Uh, it is not me. That's because my brother's phone was hacked. They got a picture that I sent my brother, and they put it up and they put my name on it, and they used that to try and talk to other family members and get information from them. Uh, I don't know if it's still up or not. I don't have Facebook. But this is kind of a thing. This is what I'm talking about. It's like yeah. I didn't even do anything. <laughs> There's a Facebook page out in my name that I can't do anything about. That's weird. I'm, I'm on a Facebook page for a Bruce Rooks. You don't have a dog named Soapy, do you? Say what? You don't have a dog named you Sophie, do you? Do you have a dog named Sophie? What? I don't have a dog. All right, yeah, because this, this other Bruce Rucks has got a picture of uh, I don't have a dog, a dog on here. Yeah, all right, well, that's the only Bruce Rucks on there, so uh, I think you're I think you're safe for now. Uh, I don't know what happened to the other Bruce Rucks page, but this one, this one, this guy claims he's uh, got a dog named Sophie. So, yeah, I don't think this is supposed to be you. So, so my apologies to other Bruce Rucks <laughs> right now. Is people are gonna look him up now and be like, "What? Who the fuck are you? Leave Bruce alone!" It's like, no, no that's a different Bruce Rocks. <laughs> Apparently, there's another one. Oh shit! Well, I am. Uh, I'm out to Cal- What's that? If it has my picture, it's the fake page. It's got pictures, but it's like a super old guy. This is got a guy who looks like he's in his seventies. So, yeah, uh, I hope that's not me. It could be this other Bruce. Yeah, this other Bruce Rux is going to hear this and get fucking pissed at me. But anyway, so 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 he seems like a very <laughs> nice gentleman. Um, anyway, so I'm I'm as you can t- could tell probably throughout this show here, I'm really under the weather and running on fumes, and I gotta fucking get on a flight to California in like fucking two days and. I don't know, I'm hoping I can feel better before then, and I'm doing the holidays out there with the family again, so that should be a good time. That's why we're doing an early uh, Rucksgiving this year, although we'll drop on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which is kind of a change for the last few years when uh, it would take us a while to get it out there. So, uh, yeah, well, on that note, I guess we'll we'll wrap it up for the year, Bruce. Uh, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, I hope the financial issues can kind of straighten out soon and, and you can get back uh, above water and everything. And you know, try not to try not not try not to let the world get you down, man. It's it's not so bad out there. It's all right. <laughs> oh, I'll manage. I'll manage. I will all be right. fine. All right, man. Well, keep your eyes to the skies, my friend, and thank you again. It's always, uh, like I said, I'll hang up the phone here, and now I can really fucking finally sort of uh, melt into the Thanksgiving holiday now that we've got uh, Rucksgiving in the books. So 
Uh, I, I really there do appreciate it. Always enjoy talking to you, man. And, uh, yeah, you're part of the family here at Pinal of America. So thank you so much. Absolutely. All right, brother. Good night. Good night. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, folks. There you go. That was Bruce Rucks. Rucks giving 2023 in the books. We got like five minutes here before the show shuts off, so let me just do a quick thanks to everybody uh, who's been tuning in to Banal of America, The Revival. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying the episodes. Uh, I really have been enjoying rolling them out on you over the last uh, few weeks. Today we just dropped the uh, Jack Brewer and Erica Luke's episode, which I thought was really, really fantastic. I really enjoyed that conversation. I think folks uh I think folks will really dig it if you haven't listened to it yet. And I can do a tease, actually, which we don't do on the other episodes because I don't tape these little uh, bits at the end. But I can tell you that in next week's episode, we're going to be talking to Nate Brislin about his new book, The Crawlers, which is about Dover Demon-esque entities that people have seen and reported and encountered uh, on on multiple occasions. You think the Dover Demon story is an isolated incident, but it turns out that uh, Nate's dug up like, I think, like three dozen cases of people encountering these weird bipedal entities with large bulbous heads, kind of like an alien, but like more of a creature. It's like a weird creature-alien hybrid almost, uh, and the stories are crazy, and he's chronicled them all in his new book, The Crawlers, and we talk about them on next week's edition of Banal of America, and I've already got a whole bunch of good shit lined up for December here on Banal of America, The Revival. Uh, I'm really enjoying being back, really enjoying uh, bringing these new shows to people and bringing uh, some new voices into the Banal of America universe which I've been wanting to do for quite some time. So we're going to keep trying to do that. We're going to keep trying to bring some new voices to uh, to the listeners and also uh, bring back some old friends of the program as well. I want to thank you all for, for being so supportive with re- the return of the program. I've gotten so many uh, messages and emails and social media posts from people cheering us on and, and expressing gratitude for for Bit All of America coming back. And believe me, folks, the, the gratitude is, is, is all on my end. I can't thank you enough. Um, I really can't. Sometimes when I wasn't broadcasting for all that time, it was like, geez, does people even remember me? Um, and so, you know, when we come back and we hear from so many people and we're getting so many listeners and it's like, wow, this is awesome, man. This is really awesome. And, uh, and I, I owe that all to the Banal of America listeners. You guys have been, been so supportive and so tremendous over the years and, and so excited about the revival. So stay tuned. You know, I have no intention of going anywhere. we got big plans to keep this party rolling well into uh, 2024 and beyond, and it's going to be fucking awesome. It's going to be really awesome. So, uh, again, thank you so much for your support and uh all that good stuff here as uh, the revival rolls on. And, of course, as I said just now, have a very happy Thanksgiving. Be safe out there. Enjoy your time with your family. Don't, don't let them drive you nuts. Just, just, just go and grab a beer if you must and, and enjoy the holiday. Enjoy the downtime. Have some food. Watch some football. Watch some movies. Watch the parade. I love that parade. You know that. 
and uh, just chill out and relax. Because before you know it, it's going to be Christmas time. It's already inescapable already, but it's going to be even worse. And I guess that's it. So with all that said, thank you all very much for listening. Until next week, this is Tim and all signing off.